Hello and welcome to another episode of the Being Heard podcast. Today we have a very special guest who's actually sitting right next to me uh, rather than on a Zoom call, which feels much more intimate and personal and special. So today we have Damien Hallam on the Being Heard podcast. Now, Damien and I actually met about 10 years ago mm. for the first time where he called me up to come and treat some of his horses. And Damien, I don't know if you know this, but as in I'm speaking to Damien when I say that. Damien actually opened the door in quite a big way for me at that time because I was just coming to the end of my training and he was one of the first people who contacted me. So it was a real pleasure to meet him and see his connection with his horses and be there and be in the field of work and practice at that time. Damien is a dressage rider and trainer and he's competed at a Grand Prix level and lives in the New Forest, just about 15 minutes down the road from me with his herd of horses. Mm. Some are ridden and some are not. And what's interesting about today is that Damien is the first person who's been on the podcast so far who is riding, mm -hmm. who is in the ridden world, and who is on a daily basis coming into contact with people who are still on that side of the spectrum. And what this conversation is about today is about bringing forward his perspective mm -hmm. of the shift in the industry that's happening and his journey and his spirituality as a man and a soul and a being who is connected with the Greater Horse Collective. So I'm really, really honoured to have you here today, Damien. Thank you for being here and welcome to the Being well, Here podcast. I feel very, very honoured to be asked to come and talk to you. Thank you. So the first question that I'd love to ask you is, what does it feel like for you in your body when you are truly listening? Very peaceful. Um, I, I suppose I worked quite hard on this. Is to be able to bring myself to a very quiet place, um, very still place, and so from being still, then you really start to hear um, and listen from a with to a total concentration and with intent, really, to hear what is being said. Mm. Yeah, the peace, I think, is something that comes through letting go of all stories that we can in the moment, mm -hmm. you know, and allowing the fresh story of what's in front of us to be witnessed. Yeah. But at the moment, I think, because we're so distracted by mobile phones and just the pace of life, uh, to slow down enough to listen and be present, present being something that I think eludes so many of us because of how fast we're living, for me is crucial to have really interesting conversations, whether that be an anim with an animal or with a human. Um, mm -hmm. Slowing down um, and being present is what makes the difference of the conversation, I think. Yeah, and coming back, bringing life back into balance mm. through choosing to do that. Mm. So I find your path really interesting mm -hmm. because uh, you and I were talking before we started recording about how for you as an individual movement, dance and getting into the body and connecting with shamanism through your body and through your interest in indigenous people has been a game changer for you in terms of how you experience life and how you connect with and see mm -hmm. horses. And I would love for you to just talk about Okay. Um, I suppose it, I, a lot of, I think, I mean, I'm 52 now and a, a lot of, I look at myself and I really see a return to the boy that I was. Um, as a child, I um, would 
I was lucky to be brought up on a farm in Yorkshire. And so I would spend a lot of time with animals the animals on the farm of all different varieties and also um, out in nature and I really see it and so I, it's interesting the other day I, I was I've been doing uh, some life coaching looking at my life now and, and the path I'm on, I'm on and one of the things that I was asked to do was to speak to my mum and ask her how I was as a boy and she said yeah you were always on your own always with animals always in, outside in nature um, and I really see that happening to me uh, or I'm me returning to that person in middle age. Where did it get lost? Anyway, but I, in my thirties, um, I found movement, meaning dance and yoga and meditation and breath work, and it's stuff that I know as a child that I would was very. Uh, I definitely would have had an affinity to, to with movement and dance but it just got lost or was never developed in me or it, um, I suppose, I don't know, I just lost it. And then in my um, middle age, I've really found that again. And in my riding, um, that helps me to be more supple in my body, which helps me to be more supple in my mind. Um, but also I really think I go towards, towards a horse with so much more aware, somatic awareness of as I, as I interact with them in a non-verbal way. So raising my own awareness of my own somatic experience is hugely important when interacting with an animal that doesn't use voice. Mm. Um, so that's been very, very influential in learning more about myself to go to walk back towards horses, really. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's interesting how your innate childhood wisdom, mm -hmm. like your innate inner child wisdom, yes. knew what an important piece or knows still what an yes. important piece that is. How do you bring that awareness to your clients? Um, I work a lot on, I suppose firstly, it's the responsibility of the human. I, you know, I feel very strongly that um, there's a lot of focus on in ridden training of the horse needs to do this and the horse needs to do that. But they are such incredible mirrors of um, the human. So, that can be behaviorally but also physically and so there's there's this incredible entangled uh relationship between human and horse so i'm very firstly influenced interested in the the rider taking responsibility for themselves um how's their you know we know that horses and humans tend to synchronize if they work a lot together synchronize their breathing and their heart rate if they have an affinity together. And so if the person's holding their breath, because you, know, you think of ridden when somebody's riding, they might be really trying hard. And so they hold their breath because they really want to get it right. And, you know, um, or they're in a competition, they really want to um, you know, do it, do well. And so the horse reads so much in the human body um, and often mimics that or mirrors it. And so one of the first things I'm interested in is does the human, how's the human breathing? Are they, as the person shallow breathing, are they breathing well? Are they actually aware of their breath? Because many people are just completely unaware of their breathing when they're around horses. And yet actually, as we know, so we're really relearning as a species because we, we probably knew this. Um, indigenous people know that keeping your, using your breath to create calm um, and grounding is very important. So going towards horses with your breath, I start with breathing um, a lot. 
I'm also for myself in my heart rate. So I meditate a lot to, so that I have an ability to influence my heart rate and bring it down to slow my, my system. So also if I'm working with a horse who is anxious or worried, that I'm able to influence my breathing and heart rate as my you know, two really, really uh, key things to the horse. Um, an, an area that I think horses read very strongly in a human. And then I'm very interested in people being aware of their body. Many people are not that aware of their body. Um, the, the, the thing is that you put a human on a horse and uh, they can start to hold tension just in order to keep themselves stable, in order to feel safe. Being on a horse can bring so many triggers into, up for a human that they then somatic, somatically or physically manifest. And of course, that's the dialogue. So for instance, if someone is anxious or feel unstable on the horse, they might hold a lot of tension in their hips and their thighs in order to keep themselves stable astride. And of course, the horse is the horse is seeing is reading that in the human hugely or the human might hold tension in their shoulders because they're they've had a long day and they're stressed and they um they're carrying a lot of baggage from the day in their body and the horse um this is what the horse notices and often mirrors in the human so you can you know humans that have lower back pain often horse their horses have lower back pain humans that are tight in their hips which is a very common thing i see their horses often carry a lot of tension in their hips that then creates a, lot of, a ripple through the body um so this really looking at oneself and one's own stuff and how one manifests that physically is hugely important in going towards the horse who is reading that as a, a language they're reading in the human. I think they look very deep. We're very transparent to the human. The human, sorry, is very transparent to the horse. Mm. But I think also the body language, the breathing, the heart rate, all of these indicators for them are very, very strong. So what really fascinates me is these are often heightened in the human when they're astride the horse. When they're off the horse, they can often control this stuff really well. But there's this very strong instinctive behaviour pattern in humans when they're actually on board the horse. And I think that's very difficult for horses to decipher. So my, my area of expertise is dressage. But uh, to do that really well and so that there's incredible harmony between the human and the horse. I think that taking responsibility for all this stuff makes the big difference to it really working. Mm. And it's what's going through my mind is the body as the unconscious mind. Yes. And how, and trauma. And uh, you said something which is very interesting that, you know, there are so many things that get triggered within the human body once they get on a horse, mm -hmm. which is, you know, for a lot of people, the story we might tell ourselves is the total opposite, which is like, oh, you know, when I'm on a horse, I feel so free. And there's mm -hmm. this element of, you know, oneness and beingness with that soul. And at the same time, I really do feel a resonance in what you're saying. I can remember mm -hmm. even when I was riding um, this subtle influence of really the question of am I safe and what it brings up as well because you're not really in control of your body mm -hmm. at all um there might be a semblance of kind of this illusion of control of the situation because of the way horses are but 
I want to come back to this piece of trauma in the body and the unconscious mind and how what you're seeing when you're working with people is that those unconscious triggers are coming out immediately. Mm. And so what I'm seeing is you in the ridden world in that kind of, I guess, category of the industry, you're there with the ability to see that and understand that based off your own experiences Mm -hmm. of movement and healing and your journey and your awareness of your body Mm -hmm. and going inside. And what I'm seeing is that in this beautiful way, there's actually a lot of healing that you're able to provide for those Mm -hmm. people by like creating space for them to become aware of their bodies because they're becoming more aware of what's unconsciously hidden mm-hmm. or what's unconsciously present yeah. you know um, and you know this is why horses are such incredible animals because they bring so my field is dressage but it's all there it's no different if, if in groundwork um this is very much recognized but in ridden work it's often i mean it's not even on the radar for many people and for me just in any relationship for it to be really, really interesting and amazing. Um, it's about vulnerability. And I think to for riding to get really exciting, there needs to be a vulnerability in the human. And so that is looking at one's body. And even though there are all these potential triggers going on, a fear, for instance, or um, not feeling safe on the horse, in order for it to really go to an interesting place between two souls or two, you know, from different species, which I think is such an exciting dynamic, then looking at this stuff is important. I'm also interested, you say about trauma, and I, one of the things that I'm interested in is, though I don't have any answers to do with this, is how many people who are attracted to horses have struggled with trauma. They may be completely unaware of it and I think many people are unaware of it because the more we know about trauma is that it's a very um often has so many layers to it and subtleties to it but uh you know we're dealing with an animal that were you know through the weaning process the fact they're sold from uh sold from pillar to post in the what I'm involved with they may have been through an auction process there's huge expectation around them. There is a, a level of trauma there. And so what? that's just in my area. But I think I'm interested that there is often, a, why are people attracted to horses specifically rather than another animal? What is it about horses? And I definitely see there's some something to do with trauma between the human and the horse that is, uh, um, and it's often way below consciousness. In fact, I'm almost certain it is. I wouldn't, I don't have my own awareness of my own baggage, but I'm aware that, uh, why was it as a boy that it was horses, horses, you know, Mm. horses, and people who are interested in horses often have this absolute, you know, um, draw to it, an enduring interest that, you know, things come and go in one's life. And yet this is the thing that never changes in enthusiasm. And what's that about? And so, and I think trauma is one of the areas, but there, but I think that, but I'm interested in what is it? There's something about the horse as a, as an incredible animal that uh, holds people. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm interested. Completely. I love that. And um, yeah, what was coming to mind was how you touched on vulnerability and mm-hmm. how 
you know, when we really break down riding, I think the thing is, is because horses have been in our lives for so many generations and collectively, and you know, then you have some people who are just born into families and they're the the odd sheep who just absolutely, that, you know, that child just, or mm-hmm. teenager just loves horses so much. And as you say, there's the pull and there's the draw. I think there are lots of different layers to that. There's the the energetics of, you know, soul contracts and soul bonds mm-hmm. and this unified field that horses really offer us and that particular human soul or soul in a human body mm-hmm. really really needs that to learn from the energy that the horses are able to give us mm-hmm. and at the moment or you know the primary way of doing that is through riding at mm-hmm. the moment and so that's just kind of what happens and then the ad- additional piece is what i love in what you're saying is that you get on a horse and all of this unconscious like energy also begins to move. Mm-hmm. And so that might be completely unexpected for someone and things might come up that they just, they don't really know anything about or they mm-hmm. don't understand. And I think having somebody to be able to lead them through that is really important. And I also was going to say, you know, in my view, trauma is very intelligent. It likes to hide and yet it wants to be seen. Mm-hmm. And this dance between the trauma that the horses go through and that I've seen in the industry, the majority of ridden horses are not in balance physically because they're being ridden. That's another topic and a bigger point, but the trauma that the horses go through and then the trauma that the humans are holding mm-hmm. is interesting as well. Cause we tend to hold on to trauma, mm-hmm. don't we? Cause we don't know where it is mm-hmm. and we don't see it. And mm-hmm. yet we need to let it go as part of our evolution. Mm-hmm. And horses tend to move that out of us. And what I've seen in the non-ridden world and experienced with my herd is they're so good at doing that, regardless mm. of whether you're on them or off them. Yeah. <laughs> you know, do you experience that with your guys at home? Very much. And, and I think this is what, why I think riding is interesting, because we have this, the, dy- the dynamic you're talking about is there in the ridden world is just as much as the, um, if you did groundwork or did n- no interaction with it, or you just let the horse be, um, it's still there. There's something about bringing humans close to horses that brings this out. Mm-hmm. For me, actually, when you're that intimate being astride a horse, it's magnified even more because your bodies are in connection, just as I'm interested in dancing. And so say you're dancing very close to somebody, you get a real feel for how soft and loose their body is and how ease they are with themselves. And there's no difference to me when you're riding a horse, the same uh, they read in me and I read in them, how soft and available uh, I am physically and they are physically. And that's Mm -hmm. a really exciting thing to work with um Mm, it's like a again i'm coming away from words what i i just had this image of you writing Mm -hmm. and that opening and that softening happen and it's like a silent a silent healing Mm -hmm. you know uh where yes to ride there's an element of you do have to be incredibly present to get to that vulnerable place as well that makes riding as you said, more exciting. Mm-hmm. How have you seen that play out with yourself and your clients bringing in back in that piece of vulnerability? The, the big thing for me is um, what I'm really interested in, and we, I mean, I can't say all these things, but they are all things that really fascinate me, um, is that you know we are led to believe that we need to use, for instance, the reins to slow down, our legs to say go, um, our seat to give various commands. But actually, 
if uh, I love the film Avatar. I don't know if any of you have seen Avatar, but um, the idea of you know when in Avatar the human-like creatures get on the horse-like creatures, and then at the end of their mane they have a um, connector that connects the horse-like creature to the human-like creature, and then they're off and they fly and it's the same with the in the uh, Avatar 2 as well but, yeah. but there's always this connect, connector between them and so I'm really really interested in creating a connection point between human and horse so that actually we we move away from our hands and our legs and our bodies are important and getting the right places is important but I work a lot with para riders whose bodies are really compromised in and finding symmetry and sitting centrally is really difficult for the human but actually we realize that as long as the intent's good and the connection's really good between the human and the horse that physical side starts to be secondary so i'm very interested in the real mental connection so there's this physical click the two human and horse and then it's starting to be a mental I think, and then the horse goes, and then reading back so that I can raise my energy, drop my energy. These dynamics, I think, are really, just as if I'm dancing with somebody mm. and I slow my energy and they slow with me, I raise my energy, or it, there's this um, flow of energy between two creatures. Um, and I love the fact that, that you can do that with a horse, and mm. that makes it very, very exciting. But it can only just in order to do it in a very precise way, which is what dressage is about. So at a certain point, at a certain time, you can do... I love this idea of that I detest my work or my connection with the horse, that um, I go and compete. And my interest in this is that at two o'clock on Wednesday afternoon, I have got, you know, me and my horse, my team member, have got to go and uh, do a test which precisely tests whether we can do all these various... Um, movements at these points and pull it off um, and whether that works or not and that that for me is the putting it under that pressure mm. uh, for me is really gives me a something to really aim for that I can't just do it when it feels like I'm waft around that, that we have to as a team get really so tuned that we can do it right now yeah. uh, and you know um, yeah. yeah it gives you the pressure to refine it absolutely yeah Wow. Uh, there is a, is a question burning in me yeah, that I really want to Probably. ask. And I think it's important for people to hear this who are listening. Yeah. Uh, and it feels a bit like a, a, an elephant in the room. Yeah. What is it like for you having this, you know, awareness of energy and this awareness of trauma and going on your own spiritual path mm -hmm. and connecting with nature on a very deep level? I mean, you know, just just sitting beside you and just being in your presence. Mm. It's really, it's really such a gift because you, through your, on your path, you've really been able to open up to that, like life force really moving through you and letting it dance through you. Mm. And that requires certain choices and shifts and decisions. And yet at the same time, you are operating and you're working still and you're, you know, you've, you've turned towards, because we were talking about how, sorry, slight tangent, how there was this question within you of, you know, why, why are you still working in the ridden world mm -hmm. and how your choice is, 
has been from self-inquiry, you've realized like, no, it's definitely where you're meant to be. Mm. And how is that for you? merging the, the spiritual side of you which ultimately always makes you more sensitive and more empathic mm-hmm. with i mean you you're able to apply that in the realm that you're in but what does it feel like for you on a daily basis um i i think i, I trust the path that i'm on so i i i work in a world of sport and so um where goals are um this goal setting and that um success is quantified by red rosettes or high marks but i for me um working with the horse day to day and trusting not knowing what the outcome is where it's leading to is really really important because horses are in nature time so i just don't think you can push and shove this sport the horse in sport because they are going at their own pace and I think once you settle down to we don't know where this journey is going let's we're both learning from each other um the horse and I'm learning from the horse they're the they they teach me so much um they also reveal what I'm ready for I just really really see that I look over the last 10 years um the right horses have come in well in my life as I as one looks to journey through life I really see that each horse has brought that I've worked with over the years has brought me brought tremendous lessons and learnings to me and I suppose it's how you quantify success you know my my peers may be winning medals and you know doing amazing things but but I I just trust that if I keep improving looking at myself digging ever deeper into what I'm doing without getting stuck or on on a wild tangent that's where I'm meant to be going I think one has to just trust that it'll all unravel and as it's meant to and I think horses are incredible at doing that they we the humans think we've got it all absolutely mapped out um but they they're so bright so intelligent they run rings around us in many ways um and so that the for me the it's shifting what success is in a in a in a sport um for me it's trying to be as full of human as I can be so that I can go to the horse in that uh, as that person. Yeah, uh, what I'm hearing is that you're, you being as fully human as you can be is your offering. Yes. To that space and shifting from, you know, the idea of success being how many rosettes you have to the idea of success being how connected you are. Yeah. And how much you're actually able to witness the immense magic the horses bring which is what you've just described in terms of them running rings around us and being so intelligent and that perspective alone is what is the shift that's needed Mm. you know from yeah yeah. how do we how are we quantifying intelligence really you know we're quantifying from such a human uh, paradigm and really you know to me they in their own language they are they incredible what you know and they see us because we're so transparent to them they see straight through our us but it's uh persuading people to see that that's going on and then it becomes even more exciting more interesting to me uh yeah thank you for sharing that um one thing that we touched on before we started recording was 
you said something so beautiful to me, which was your like contract or relationship with horse, yes. which uh, you described as the collective mm-hmm. horse energy, the greater horse yes. spirit. Could you just talk about that and how you experience that? Yeah, please. Um, I, I think again, it's a return to um, how I was as a boy, or um, a very childlike interaction with with the horse. I feel with our, with the horses that we have in our world. You know, we have four ridden horses, um, a retired horse, two Shetland ponies, and Dotty the donkey, and they um, our contract with them is that once they come into our world, however they find us or however we find them, that um, we try to do right by them. Um, and so there's something about a contract with horse that I in my life, I have to try and be as ethical and as as ethical as I can be with my belief system in the way I interact with horses. Um, so they aren't just a commodity that is sold from one to another, that they aren't... Um, a chattel that is sold, you know, uh, something that you know that gives me power and that gives me uh, kudos. So they, they, I'm interested in the, the, the looking away from that validation that horses give men, many people, and and I get it, I, that's fine. And um, but I, for me, this the, the the contract with them is to try and be as yeah, I come back to the word ethical again, you know, that um, with them. I suppose I, I want to be able to look my horse in the eye. That's really important to me. Mm. Um, so even though I'm trying to support, do sport, trying with, you know, I have my ambitions. I still, I want to, when I'm in my 80s, look back at the horse in my life and think that I did as well for them as I could. Mm-hmm. Um, and even though we're trying to push boundaries and trying to make them as as amazing as they can be in my perspective, from my perspective, um, that they still feel valued and seen and appreciated. Because we know as humans, if we're not valued, seen and appreciated, that really starts, that deeply, deeply affects us. Why should that be any different for a horse? Um, and one of my little tiny things, details, is somebody in a lesson says to me, it did this. And I just, I stop them and say, it, uh, he or she, come on. You know, for me, it's very important. We see, we see whatever our activity with horses is, is that we see them as, I know the word sentient being is very overused at this current time, but we need to be using those words. They are you know, thinking, feeling creatures. And wow, I mean, the, what they do, what they have done for humans and do for humans is incredible. And so part of my contract with horse is this stuff and within coaching people and within dressage that it's about me doing it as well as I possibly can. And, and, and hope I hope that seeing that it's possible, you know, seeing where that, I, I'm excited, I still am excited every day to see where that goes. And I didn't get it, I didn't get it right. I still get it wrong a lot. But my underlying intent is, is that. Yeah. And I think that when we have 
beings, sentient beings who are essentially in our care and who, you know, depending on the way that you look after them, eat because we feed them mm. and have protection from the rain because we provide it mm. in this domesticated way. It is so important to continue to strip back the layers of, am I, am I doing all that I can and am I approaching, am I offering from a place of true empathy? Mm. And it is so important to really uphold ourselves and to take massive responsibility for that responsibility for that mm -hmm. gift yes. and um there's it's, i'm noticing something in these conversations on the podcast which is when and myself included in this when we collectively as humans go to talk about the energy and the vast wisdom that horses provide and the way that it's affected us i can feel that they're the words that we want to use they you know they do a great job in describing it but they're not actually able to touch the this kind of this experience and this realm that we're stepping into with horses and that we and that we have with them when you're connected to them like you are and on in an energetic way and seeing them as sentient beings and bringing in the spirituality and it's very interesting to me because i think that needs to be acknowledged in terms of really witnessing these beings as infinitely more wise than we are. Mm -hmm. And so when we take on that perspective and we say, okay, this horse, this being in front of me is infinitely more wise than me. <laughs> you know, all you can do is show up as a humble student mm -hmm. and all you can do is open your heart and do whatever it takes to open your heart to listen. Mm -hmm. And that might take a whole lifetime. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's about the reflection also of the vastness of the infinite spirit within you mm. and within all of nature. And what I want to ask you is your, you said something before, again, before we started recording, which was the intimacy of written work and how that helps people connect with nature mm -hmm. and in your experience with indigenous people and your relationship with nature, which ultimately is one being, mm. you know, do you see, how do you see that reflected again in the work that you do? I suppose just as a side, I, I have a real interest in indigenous people because I think we um, have lost um, our connection with nature like we know, which is, um, and so there's huge learnings from in listening to indigenous people and the way they interact with, with nature. The, the thing for me about riding horses is this, uh, like, I, I use the words intimacy, but what I mean by that is that you're astride the horse, so you are actually around their body. Um, and so it's a, a place of unbelievable closeness, actual touch, um, and touches your language with the horse, um, along with uh, um, your thoughts. And... Being that uh, that close with another, I mean, like I'm sitting here with um, Laura's uh, dog on my lap, and so I'm in con I'm in connection with a dog. Um, but also, when you're on a horse, you're in actually in connection. It's this touch, and there's something about um, that that is very very powerful in these times where we're so disconnected from nature. So there's a, a real richness and learning from spending t that in that intimacy. I think. Mm. 
Mm. It reminds me of like returning to the mother yeah. for some reason mm-hmm. of, yeah, just returning to that space of deep nurture. Mm-hmm. You know, if we were to go back to the womb and be held there and be loved there, then that intimacy through touch and silence and telepathy is kind of the same mm. thing. It reminds me of that. Yeah. So, but, yeah. but, but what I need to say about that is that, that so therefore I, I have worked so not, not hard, but I've worked a lot on how soft is my body and how available is my body and how good is my um, bodily awareness as I'm round the horse, which is a very, are we using the word again, of vulnerability, to be that soft as a human. And there's something about um, being soft around the horse. Maybe that I think horses really love that, just as like being next to somebody who's very soft to be with um, is uh, enticing. I think all horses are the same with that. Um, and yeah. something about this rediscovering that soft edge in ourselves is important in, in, with na- in going back to nature. And, and it's something indigenous people haven't really lost but we in the Western world really have. Um, And it's somehow going back to uh, where we should be in some way. Yeah, I love that. Thank you. Can you talk about empathy overdrive? Oh yeah, so I I did a lecture last year on on this, which I really, it's something that really really just came to me about um, empathy fatigue. Um, What I mean by that is um, if you think in um, human healthcare, um, it's, recognize that somebody can become a doctor or um, a care worker and they go into that line of work because they care deeply about other humans and then because on a day-to-day basis they their workload is such and they have so much to get through they start to lose the the, the seeing of their patients um, or the people in their care as humans with knee who feel and uh, our souls really and I see this I, I saw it in myself because I, I think as a boy, I had a very strong connection with uh, animals. And then as I worked with horses, so there are so many, you know, at times I have so many horses to care for, um, to get through in a day, to ride, to um, my financial security relied on the horse. Um, and so uh, all that pressure means that often I look back and I was no longer seeing the horse for their magnificence and what uh, the connection with them and then now returning back now uh, I can see that I'm that connection is rebuilding and so my empathy towards the horse is growing once more and so I think it's really underestimated in humans how um, it feels one's oneself when you're struggling with physical activity and so therefore with the horse and that empathy is very lost I think and so I'm very interested in in making sure the horses have regular walk breaks so they get the oxygen back into their muscles and recognizing when they are fatiguing because I don't it can be very varied how a horse shows fatigue Um, so this empathy is it's the same in farming people no longer often they've got so many chickens to look after um, that they in a big shed of a thousand chickens they're no longer seen them as individual sentient beings or in a dairy farm they've got so much to do in the day and just get through which we all get but they no longer see those animals in front of them as as animals with individual needs and individual stories and feelings so it's something that I'm in coaching people with their riding I'm really 
interested in reading the horse and seeing where the horse is at and trying to feed that back to the rider or getting the rider to see that for themselves that the horse might be struggling not because he's been naughty or in inverted commas or um, difficult it's just that he finds it really hard this is why taking training horses for dressage takes years and years and years because you just can't quick fix it just as you can't quick fix me to be a super supple yogi um, it's going to take me years to do it and it's the same with horses really um, and this empathy towards the animal as we develop them for me is crucial because how many signs of resistance or them not wanting to being naughty, naughty difficult all these words people use are just them saying I'm really finding this hard mm. and I I can do it but for a very short length of time um do what you're asking me to do for a very short length of time and gradually 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 that over time become that they build strength and endurance and then are able to or in suppleness they can do it for longer periods but I think people forget how tough it is doing physical exercise oneself and so the horse is no different. Yeah. And it's it reminds me of, you know, the words that are coming to my mind are like how in today's day and age productivity is just given so much importance mm. and more is better and bigger is better and longer is better and harder is better. Yeah. And I felt that within what you just described within my relationship with my horses, which is I love how you're bringing in this conversation about softness, because for me, when that comes in, well, I've got to do so many things because I'm building a house and I've got, you know, I want to connect with my horses and I want to do all these other things that I'm doing. The productivity mindset and energy hardens the space mm. between us. Yeah. And then the empathy that I feel in terms of the the connection and the unity and the listening and the hearing is only found again when I'm actually disciplined enough to soften. Mm -hmm. And for me, those two things do go hand in hand. It is a discipline because we do live in a world where productivity is seen as yeah. such a, it's a winner, you know, yeah. and it's actually the complete opposite. We need to, as you're saying and you're doing is retrain our whole system. And I'm sure actually many people are doing this, but mm. um, we need to continue doing it of the softness is such a relief mm -hmm. for the system. Yeah. It's such a relief for the collective nervous system, mm -hmm. for the horse's breath in general, like the collective breath that you will have when you're, you're together as an energy. And it's just so, it's where the information that needs to be heard comes in. Mm. So then ironically, it's also from that place of softness when the information comes in, it's where the next action comes from, yeah. which is, you know, you could say, well, then that's the hardening again to move forward and take action but it's really being able to as a human being find this dance of I'm allowed to soften because I understand that in the space of softening everything that I need to hear is going to be heard and everything that's needed is present and it's safe and everything that you've talked about in terms of trauma in the body people feeling triggered when they're on horses and how you see that and the importance of movement and body awareness and softening mm -hmm. that's all tied in mm -hmm. together with can i soften mm -hmm. can i open am i safe can i be still yeah. in a collective world where we're just like told from day one that that's not okay yeah you know the, the other thing is that therefore i sort of take responsibility that i've got to be fit and supple myself so that I can to sit 
on a moving horse and be soft takes a lot of um, tone in the body. It's not about being jelly. And so that that's something that I take the responsibility for because what I'm really also interested in is a, a still point. So what I mean by this is if you two people are dancing together, uh, say you're doing contact improvisation, so you're doing an, a dance where two people are in contact and moving. For it to really work between those two people, you can't be jostling against each other. Um, uh, you've got to find a still point, uh, for it to really get to magic place, it's about finding a still point between the two beings. And so for me, um, I'm really interested in finding a still point on the horse. And that's a still point in my mind, but also a still point in my body because I think horses are really attracted to when you look at two horses or a group of horses side by side when they are very uh, at ease there's a stillness between them all and so if I as a human can go towards the horse riding the horse with that stillness in my being they get a huge amount of security from their leader being calm and still. So stillness is stillness between two moving objects. So we find a still point between me and the horse, but also it's a mental stillness so that my brain isn't chattering and uh, because they see all that um, and busy. And also that therefore, if I give a command, it's from a, a place of quietness and stillness. So it's almost silence command back to silence again. I think because we're a conversational species, if we're too conversational with the horse, we bombard them. They, they find that very difficult. They've, in my opinion, they really like command silence. They really like that um, more than chat, 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 uh, huge dialogue. I think they find it very difficult to then prioritise what what it is the human's trying to say. Because they then, unless they've started to just completely trance the human out as a coping mechanism, generally they are really trying to decipher what the hell the human is is saying. And when you've got a mental chatter going on, physical chatter going on, mm. I think it's very difficult for them. So I'm really interested in the idea of stillness. Stillness meaning a quiet place between me and the horse. And um, horses absolutely love that. But interestingly, I think humans do, when you think of being with a child or with a dog or another animal, the, the being still and quiet at soul level is very, very enticing and safe. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, it's, I think in the non-ridden side of things, that's how, that's the language that we begin to speak mm -hmm. with horses because again I've heard a lot of people uh, say you know and then through different life circumstances they got to a place where they either couldn't ride or wouldn't ride anymore and then all they could do was be mm -hmm. without any distractions yeah. and ultimately of course what that brings is to be you have to be still mm -hmm. uh, you can be when you're moving you can yeah. be when you're dancing but there needs to be that balance point of are you still inside even when you're moving. Mm -hmm. And so I want to call something into question, which is this, what you said about being the leader. Yeah. And how, again, say from my perspective and my side of things, I can consider my horses to be the leaders. Yes. And um, <laughs> someone asked me once uh, about a year ago, they asked me who the quote boss was in the herd and whether mm. it was me. And I just laughed and I was like, Definitely not me. 
And the reason that I feel that is because I have been, I, I have multiple experiences of being guided by them yeah. in a way that, or with an intelligence that I just didn't have access to, mm -hmm. but they enabled. Mm -hmm. And so time after time after time and kind of opening and softening to them and seeing their kind of glory. I'm like, mm. okay, wow, actually, I'm very prepared to be led by you because mm. what, you know, better souls to be led by. Mm. And um, in the ridden world, and I, I'm massively generalizing, I know, but this concept of, yeah, you know, when you're on top, you're the leader and the commander. Mm. And I just want to have, a, I want to call that into question and find whether there's a space to dismantle that mm. from your perspective. Mm. It's one of the areas I have um, I have dilemma over. Do I have a right to be the leader over my horse? But then, on another hand, I in the, I see they get huge security from having a leader. They, um, but I'm a leader who's listening a lot. So. I'm not sure about, I, it's one of my own, my real own journey dilemmas is this. I, like this morning, um, come to see, see Lara. So I've got four horses to ride. So I go out of my saddle and my bridles, <laughs> ride into the stable and um, say, right, we're riding today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I appease myself by saying, well, horse, I give you everything I can in my knowledge to have a good balanced life and live as well as I can provide for you. But for these 45 minutes, it's um, our time together. So I go to it with respect, deep respect. I go towards the situation, sorry, I mean it, as in the situation between us, me and the horse, with real respect. But I, I think it's important to keep questioning, I am the leader and do I have a right to be a leader? Because then, the respect's never lost and uh, the gratitude towards the horse isn't lost. And also the responsibility isn't lost. You know, I take a horse into a competition situation. It's a situation that is, there's lots of, it can be a very stressful situation. It can be lots of very stressed people and loud music and da da da. So they're feeling all this energy. And so my responsibility is that I think if I take them into that situation, that I am a really solid leader for them holding their hand but then I suppose you could say well, why are you doing take them into that situation but it's stuff I play with and I really look at and and um again so that I can look them in the look the horse in the eye and feel I've done I'm doing the best that I can and and this has been one of my dilemmas is do is this what I want to do and something in me says yes I, I want to stick with this and I find it uh interesting and trying to do it as well as I can feels really important but i'm i'm interested in questioning it yeah. to see what i find and which can be really uncomfortable but we've got to ask uncomfortable questions in life and mm. particularly in our interactions with animals these days whatever animals we're talking about asking uncomfortable questions and not shying away from them i think is what we have to do and i don't have the answers and i don't get it right i don't get it right but i i think We've got to be looking at the uncomfortable a little bit. Yeah, we've got to be willing to explore. Yes. Um, what I'm hearing and I'm seeing is this, you know, you've chosen to turn towards this 
realm that you work in mm-hmm. and you've chosen to show up and be present and yeah. to ask the questions and that takes courage and it takes humility it takes a willingness to not know and ultimately none of us have the answers yes at this time in this because we're transitioning in this realm of seeing you know waking up to seeing horses as sentient beings Mm -hmm. none of us have any answers we're just on the path and asking the horses ultimately Mm -hmm. and asking to be shown whatever we are prepared to see so that we can be of assistance in that and you are right in the thick of that realm Mm -hmm. and your willingness to not know and to be a leader to yourself Mm -hmm. in that way, Mm. I think is really important to acknowledge Mm -hmm. because of, again, I always kind of bang on about this, like we're all just creating these blueprints for the future generation to come into so that, you know, within the horse human collective, uh, there are these, you know, changes that happen that Mm. when we're not around, other people are going to tap into Mm -hmm. that energetically and then carry that on. And you're doing that mm-hmm. as like this seed in that realm. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I just really want to acknowledge that. I think that's really powerful. And there's a reason that you're getting this resounding yes of like, yes, this is where I'm meant to be. Mm-hmm. Yes, this is right. Mm-hmm. Because also you're willing to say, hey, am I doing it wrong? Mm-hmm. Am I doing it right? How, mm-hmm. do, how can this look different? Yeah. Show me. And I think you'll always do that. Mm-hmm. And that curious, open, playful, like enigmatic young Damien mm-hmm. is I feel anyway the one that like shines through mm-hmm. in those moments of like well I don't know yeah so there must be information here that I don't have so can yeah. I play with that and even though yes it's a quote dilemma it's also an opportunity for you to create change mm-hmm. absolutely you know? uh so on this thing I just as a side, but it's quite interesting that you talk like this because um, so I've um, over the last couple of years uh, been to clown school to learn to be a clown, and this is exactly why I find cl- clowning so not clowning as in um, a children's party clown, but more improvisation, mime, uh, very present performing, and again, it's that thing of trusting that. Getting it wrong is absolutely fine. So I get it. I do get it wrong a lot with my horses, but I get it wrong from a place of good intent, and often, but by being playful and silly and experimental and childlike, um, I find stuff, uh, or me and the horse find stuff, and stuff that can start that can be difficult for the horse gets lighter because. Um, I'm not worried about making mistakes and therefore I'm not worried if they make mistakes. And just as I have had to learn through clowning that experimenting finds lots of new interesting ways of being. Why I chose clowning was because I, when I turned 50, I wanted to do something that's different to what I normally do. And I didn't do uh, theatre or uh, drama at school. So it's different from what I normally do. But I also realised that I wasn't very good at being childlike and silly and playful. And I think it's so much learning in that. And I've really discovered that if you are playful with horses and joyful and silly and mess around within the riding side, it's amazing what you find together. And then and then 
training is light and training is fun and mistakes are no problem at all and discoveries happen but because I, I need a horse to be happy to make mistakes so that they keep giving me options so if I'm trying to teach them to do something that they feel comfortable to get it wrong 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 oh right the human really loves that gets excited by that and so there's a play, playfulness for me has been really interesting and also coaching people People are so terrified to get it wrong, so want to do it right, so want to be good. Um, you know, all this pressure um, that they put on their own shoulders. And so coaching them that it's fine to get it wrong, to experiment, to make to make mistakes is absolutely fine. And that's where often the real riches are in learning, I think. Mm. So clowning oddly uh, has been a really useful thing to bring into, not being silly as in, stupid just silly and fun and make it joyous a joyous thing i mean where did the joy go in so much of this stuff so uh, and the laughter you yeah. know and it's just i love having laughter and you know i'm coaching an indoor school and there's laughter at our ridiculousness for instance and that is really important yeah. um, rather than it all being so serious and goal orientated and then the learning gets becomes light the horse feels safe to make get it wrong so they get it right because they're not they're not in a this dilemma of not wanting to get it wrong mm. and so actually human and horse start to um it starts to be a, you know an experiment a, you know, a, a, a journey of learning mm. yeah mm, i love that thank you so much damien what advice would you give for anyone who's listening to this out there who is riding, wants to potentially make a change, can feel that there's some softening that needs to happen and some play that needs to come in or some spirituality that they want to investigate and go down that road. You kind of walking both sides and being a bridge, what advice would you give to somebody who's kind of teetering on the edge of that and wants to make a change? Do you know what? I watch myself and it's so stupid, but I do it. So when I'm coaching people, um, I notice how horse-like I am. I move around the, around the arena demonstrating what the horse does. So when you're a child, you um, and if you're into horses or maybe, well, I did this, you are very horse-like in your play. So you might play at being a horse and there are huge discoveries by being horse-like. And so I'm in a place where I coach people and through coaching people, often to show them what I want the horse to do, I will enact the horse and what the horse is doing and what I would like the horse to do or to do. And by those discoveries, I by being horse-like myself, I really think, ah, oh, it feels like that. Or to be springier in my body, I need to do that. Or um, oh my God, yeah, my, uh, my, just my own awareness of what I'm, the horse's body, in so dressage is my field, so what the horse's body needs to do, or how tiring it is to do a multiple line of flying changes for them. If you skip and do a line of flying changes yourself, it's actually very tiring, whereas actually you do PF Passage, for instance, it's, it's not that taxing on the body. So being horse-like in my body, but also the other thing that I, so I do that um, when I'm coaching people, as an explanation, they laugh at me and I don't care because then they they see they get a visual of what the, we need the horse to do. But also I it's my own the journey for me that has been so powerful is dancing, just dancing freely, just putting music on and moving for me in a loose um way. Uh 
so that I just let go of all my, you know, uptight English <laughs> and just move and groove um, has really been important for me because it raises my awareness, my own body, but it means I go softly towards the horse mm. because I, I groove around softly. Um, and then, you know, breath work and the whole thing of breath work meditation is so unbelievably powerful for the horse human combination i think and again suppleness if in dressage for a horse to find dressage easy they need to be supple just like a dancer needs to be supple to do for dancing to be easy on their body and so working on my own suppleness has been a huge thing but being supple in my body makes me supple in my mind so a combination of all those things but that's my journey and i think each of us have our own journey with with this whole Thing with horses and um but the biggest thing for me is i i'm looking back at myself all the time mm. it's me you know the horse knows how to be a horse it's me that's got to sort myself out mm. um as i go towards them so i go as a better human towards them yeah i love that so it's finding practices which work for you to go softly towards the horse yeah which is beautifully said yeah. and um yeah, ex- exploration and discovery of, I think, how to get deeper into the body has been your overall message of how powerful mm. that is and how much that benefits the horse. So many different reasons. Damien, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for your time and your presence and your energy. And I feel like you've been incredibly honest and mm. willing to share in a very authentic way. And I'm really grateful to you for just existing and lending yourself to this shift that is happening in mm. the industry and at this point of coming back to yourself and looking at yourself and questioning and finding joy within that is a really powerful message mm. so thank you thank you i suppose the other thing for me is this thing that's been really lovely for me to share talking about what really matters to me a lot and um so that's been very special for me so thank you oh. <laughs> And to all of you, thank you for listening.